We're going to share tonight on a parable. And you know, a parable is incredible because you know, the old saying is that they say a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And you know, Jesus spoke many times in parables because he used a natural example to communicate a spiritual truth. So we're going to talk about the parable of the great price, the pearl of great price. I want to read a couple scriptures as we begin. And in uh, Matthew 13, 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. And in this excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And then the next verse, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. You know, the merchant is Jesus. You know, a merchant in that day, they knew what he was talking about. A merchant, you know, that's what they did for a living. So when the merchant went out to look, he knew what he was looking for. He knew very well what he was looking for, and he was willing to pay the price if he found the right pearl. And, uh, you know, it's like the man with the treasure in the field. He didn't bury that and go pay for the whole field because he thought he was going to lose money. He was willing to buy the field because he knew what he found. You know, the merchant always saw the potential. You know, and the merchant, being Jesus, he knows the potential. He knows the possibility. And he knows the benefit. And, you know, the merchant, um, they knew really what they were looking for. And, uh, you know, Jesus being the merchant, his heart is revealed many, many times throughout the word. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his own life. You know, as, you know, the merchant, like being Jesus, it says, he came to seek and to save the lost. You know, and you've got to realize, that's me. That's you. And, um, you know, nobody comes to the Father unless the Father draws him and that he reveals himself. You know, the Bible says that he stands at the door and knock. Some of us, he knocked on the door quite a while, you know, before we answered. You know, it's amazing, you know, how many times God knocks, how many things he draws, how many times he makes himself known to you before you open the door. And um, in Ephesians 1, 4, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault. That's amazing. You know, like the Psalms say, he knew you when you were formed in your mother's womb. He had plans for you. He knew you. And he is willing to pay the price to purchase you. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, John 15, 16, it says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, sometimes we think we chose God. No, all we did is we responded to his calling. You know, he chose us. And, he's, and the thing is, is that when he chooses you, it says, I've appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. 
so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. So you know, if the merchant is Jesus, what is the pearl of the great price? Now there's many, many, many layers and we can only really scratch the surface to all that we can say. But let's just say the pearl of great prize would be Jesus for us. You know, if you found Jesus, that's the pearl of great price for us. And he says, many times he says, the kingdom of heaven um, reveals this. You know, Jesus came, he says in Mark 1:14, he says, after John was arrested, John, or Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. And the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent from your sins and believe the good news. See, that was kind of a new message. John the Baptist had talked about him, but Jesus came and he brought a message that was far reaching because he knew where he was going and he knew what was heaven. So he was going to reveal to them something that was incredibly uh, simple but incredibly deep. You know, and Jesus is the door into the kingdom. He's the only door. He's the only way. And um, I want to read a short article to you that um, explains it a little bit a different way and then I'll share. It says, it is, in, it is Christ who seeks the sinner, the shepherd who seeks the sheep, not the other way around. In a sense, this is very true, for it is Christ who calls to us from the praises of Scripture and seeks us out. But once we have been found by him, it is up to us to follow him and to seek out the kingdom of heaven for ourselves. So you can see that there is a truth on both ideas. And this is why I think they should be seen parallel rather than dismissing one in favor of the other. So if we consider the merchant to be Christ, then what does the pearl represent? In a narrow sense, it would represent the sinner that, seeks, that he seeks to save. But we get a much more interesting picture if we think of the pearl as the church that he paid the price for. The price was his life. The church is one pearl, one body composed of each one of us, of those who he has sought out through the ages, and he purchased it with his own blood. It is pleasing to know that when Jesus finds us, we are not someone who he stumbled across while on his travels, but rather Christ has been diligently seeking for us, and he, when he finds us, we can be encouraged that he has seen something in us that was worth paying his life for. That's pretty special. That he would love you that way and that he can see the end from the beginning. We can see that obtaining the kingdom of heaven requires a great price and we cannot buy it as such. For it is a gift from God given by his grace. And we, of course, never offer enough to God for its purchase. But on a personal level, the implication is that we are required to give up all our worldly, worldly things to obtain 
that wonderful pressure. See, I've said many times, there's two times when we really, and when we say I do, we really don't completely comprehend what we're saying. When you accept the Lord and when you get married, it's going to cost. But what a deal. It's a tremendous deal. It says, Christ, on the other hand, who led a sinless life, perfect in every respect, can afford the great price that is needed. And so this parable also speaks to us of the tremendous price that Christ paid for our redemption. We can still take more ideas away from this parable, but considering the pearl itself, the word pearl is derived from Sanskrit, the ancient Indo-European language, and the word means pure. But why not a diamond or another expensive gem? The quality of diamonds are graded according to their, their characteristics, the cut, the color, the clarity, maybe its carat weight, and the diamond receives a significant amount of its beauty by the way it's cut by man's hand. The only natural gem that has more value when it is found than when men has finished with it is a pearl. Man cannot add anything to the work of salvation. And unlike other gems or precious stones, the pearl is produced by a living organism. The formation of a pearl is the result of an injury to the oyster. Usually some foreign body, such as a grain of sand or a parasite that invaded the oyster shell, and instead of ejecting it and pushing it out again, the foreign object is covered with layer upon layer of a substance secreted from the oyster's body called nacre. Until through pain and suffering, it forms an object of great beauty and value. We can think of experience of the oyster on a spiritual level. We are the irritant in God's creation because of our sinful nature, but because he loves us, he has covered us with Christ, and gradually we become a thing, a beauty, clothed with the righteousness of him who bought our lives with his blood. We can make a number of comparisons to other objects used for teaching in the Bible. The mustard seed, for example, starts off small like a pearl, but while the mustard seed becomes the largest of all herbs, the pearl remains quite small, yet stunning in beauty, showing that size doesn't always determine value. We can make another comparison with ourselves in that the pearl sits in a mass of live but corruptible flesh, and only when the pearl is separated from that and cleaned does it show its true value and glory. So it is with us, and a wider extent, the church. We are surrounded by and embedded in this corruptible world, but it is not until we separate ourselves and we are cleansed from it that we show our true worth to God and to others. While we remain in this corruptible world, we're of no value, but the potential cannot be seen from the outside. See, the merchant, when he chose you, he can see the beauty, he can see the possibility, and he's willing to do what it takes to bring you to that completed image that he has for mine in your life. 
You know, the, the oyster appears to be just another barnacle, a covered shell of little value, and we not, cannot tell someone else's worth by looking at them, but the Lord can see within, and he can look into our hearts and see the worth that lies within. The longer the pearl stays in the oyster, the more value it gives. When, when, when we started out, we were nothing more than an irritation, but the longer we spend applying the covering of Christ's love to ourselves, the more precious we become, and by God's grace, we can be of some value to his kingdom. Finally, another image that we get from the oyster is that before we can see the beauty of the oyster has to die. It has to be ripped open with a knife in the side. And before we can see the glory of the kingdom of heaven, it is necessary that Christ died for us. Isn't that a beautiful article? Helps us to think a little farther, and that's what I'm trying to get us to do. There's so many levels. You know, this is really, you know, a picture of our lives. It's a picture of the kingdom. It's a picture of Jesus, you know, going about and healing the brokenhearted, having compassion for the lost, um, salvation, deliverance, changed lives, miracles, and probably each one of us can relate this story to our own life. You know, a hurt, a wound, a situation that God uses in our own lives, like the sand in the oyster, to form a pearl of great price in each one of us. You know, if you've never been through anything, you've never had any hard knocks, you've never had any wounds, that I don't think there's anybody like here. We can all relate that in the end, God makes it beautiful. In the end, God uses it in your life to cause a beauty in you that you would never have without it. You know, some of the things that all of us have gone through, you think, this is the worst thing that could ever happen, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody. When you fast forward, what does God do? You know, it's like, there's no shortcut. You have to go through it. And, uh, you know, there's many, many books written, don't waste your sorrows or fail forward. You know, like the familiar verse is all things work together for good to those that love God and are called to his purposes. You know, he's the potter, we're the clay, he's molding, he's shaping, but he has an end in mind for each one of us. And, uh, you know, his plan is that you comfort one another with the comfort you've been comforted with. You can relate to somebody else with things that you've been through yourself. You have compassion, you have understanding, and you can speak to them like nobody else, but you have to go through whatever that is in order to be of the value to help them. And, um, you know, God's faithfulness, God's goodness is amazing. Um, you know, in Matthew 16, 18, he says to Peter, he says, upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. You know, as a Christian, we're a member of his church. And, uh, you know, he gives us a lot of encouragement telling us that 
you know, you can do it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is world. You hang on and you'll make it. But you have to go through some of this to become that mature, beautiful person. Um, you know, we might ask ourselves, you know, we talk about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? You know, if you had to write down a definition, what would you write down? What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, I'll give you a simple definition, which you could go for a while about this. I would say that the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus' lordship in your life. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. You know, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And uh, the kingdom is really a picture or a revelation of Jesus himself. And, um, you know, it says, it says that you are a living epistle known and read by all men. Your life is. See, your life is a story of your relationship with God. And other people read that. Um, you know, the Bible says that he's made us able ministers of the new covenant. And you know, this covenant is written in our hearts. The old covenant was, was, was death, but the new covenant is, it says the spirit gives life. And you're a vessel for his spirit to flow through. Um, he calls us so many things. He says that you're ambassadors. See, as a part of the kingdom, we're ambassadors. So we have a message, and we go share this message. And like Paul, his message was, we beg you, get right with God. Come back to God. God loves you. That is really the message. The message is God's love, God's forgiveness, God's plan. God's purpose, you know, and um, it takes a while to understand that, but it's come back to God, and that's what our message is. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, the only letter of recommendation we need is you. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts, and everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. See, when people read our lives, who are we representing? We're representing Jesus. We're representing our church. And you think people are not watching and paying attention? Um, so hopefully, our representation is a good representation. Um, you know, the Bible says in Luke 10, he says, I give you authority over all the power to take, take authority. You know, do we live our lives in a way that we understand the authority, we understand the promises, we take authority, and we don't allow certain things to go on in Jesus' name. Um, that's what he intends for us to do. Um, he said, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel. Um, Revelation says that he made us a kingdom of, of priests for God his Father. You know, a kingdom of priests, you know, back in the Old Testament, they were a go-between be the between the people, the people and God. They offered sacrifices. Well, now we can go ourselves, And, you know, we can make an appeal for our family, for our friends as priests to God, ourselves, 
and our prayers make a difference. So we bring God to the people and we bring people to God. And that is the most glorious thing that we can do in our lives. He, he calls us, you know, co-laborers. We're co-laborers to carry out the mission of the gospel to make disciples. Um, it's an amazing privilege that we have, and hopefully we can comprehend in this story what he's really talking about. So we could say, well, what about the price? See, in the message that we read, he didn't ever dicker on the price. You know, the guy that found the treasure in the field or the, the merchant that went out to buy the pearl, it wasn't like, oh, that's too much. It's not worth that much. There wasn't even a thought about that. See, Jesus, he's willing to pay the price, and he did pay the price. It cost Jesus everything, and he laid down his life, and it, was, it says that it was, it was his pleasure to do that. That's, uh, that's amazing. You know, that God loves you while you are dead in trespasses and sins. Um, you know, his shed blood um, paid the price, set us free from the power of sin to redeem us. And we can't even begin to comprehend that as we first start out. But we begin to understand because we know ourselves. We know what, he, what we did. We know the price he paid. We know that it's the only hope we had. You know, in Ephesians it says, God saved you by his grace and you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It's the gift of God. Salvation is totally a gift from God. That's, that's good. That's humbling. You know, in, in Romans 8 it says, the, because we belong to him, there's a life-giving spirit at work in us constantly. You know, back before, sin, death, sin, death, now, um, the Spirit of God gets us out of that vicious cycle. It now, it is a life-giving spirit. He is the spirit of life. He is a life-giving spirit. Christ in me gives me life today, tomorrow, every time, all the time, life, life, life. It, it's like... It's so amazing that Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in me ministers life to me and through me. Um, in Philippians 2.17, he says an amazing thing, like a challenge to all of us. And Paul says, he says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. How many of you experienced that? See, when you do something for God and you live for God, there's life, there's joy, there's something happens to you. It's like it says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And um, it's just amazing. Like, see, like what Jesus did, it demonstrates his love for us. It declares our value and the value that he sees in you because he was willing to pay the price without even question. And it assures you of his commitment and his ability 
to save. Not once, over and over and over, whatever's coming up the road, he can save. He does save. He will save. He promises to save. So it's like, this is an amazing uh, encouragement, confidence builder to us that, um, like it says, he that spared not his own son, how would he not also freely give us all things? What can he do that would prove more to any one of us that he's willing and he's able and he's committed to do whatever you need him to do? It's guaranteed. It's absolute. I mean, he put himself to the test. He proved his love. He paid the price. And he loves you. And he's committed to you. And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. So, I mean, it is guaranteed. I mean, there is not anything more that he can do when you pray, when you're in a situation, and when you come to God. That is a tremendous verse. He that spared not his own son, how would he not also freely give us all things? You know, it shows his ability to save, his ability to deliver, his ability to provide. And it's like a verse says, he saves to the uttermost. There is no limit, there is no end to what he can't and won't do. He saves to the uttermost. And that's his plan. That's his intention. And he chose us. Um, like I said earlier in Ephesians 1, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And it says, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure to do that. That's the love of God, that he was willing to do what he did for us. You know, and like, we can't, we can't not talk about the price, because you know what? It'll also cost me and you everything. It costs him everything, but it's going to cost everything. Um, you know, it's like, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, he tells you very clear what it is, like I said earlier. It's the rule and reign of Christ in my and your life. And in order to really inherit what's available, we got to surrender and we got to yield to his lordship. And Jesus, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's it. There is no other way, there is no other truth, and there is no one else that has life to offer like he offers. Um, and in order to do that, I'm still doing something that I've done for a long time, and I hope all of us are, we need to crucify our flesh. Paul talks about it. Anybody that's lived a Christian life very long, um, we have to crucify our flesh. 
And um, he says very clearly many, many things. He said, without me, you can't do nothing. Maybe a lot of us have tried it. I tried it way back in the day. It don't work. Without God, you can't do a whole lot. Not, that's, that's very good. Uh, without him, you're lost. You have no purpose. You have no fulfillment. You have no future. And you have nothing to offer, nothing to hang on to, nothing to worth keeping. So what would be the smart thing to do? Give them your heart. Right? Give them everything you got. You know, the kingdom of God, it says, like I want to make sure we understand the kingdom. See, we talk about the kingdom of God in our services. We're heart for the kingdom. You know, make disciples, heart for the kingdom. Make disciples, heart for the kingdom. See, but the kingdom is a very broad thing. Like one place it says, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, he says, is righteousness peace, and joy. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's, that's one description of what it is. The kingdom of God is righteousness. Well, how does that happen? By me accepting Jesus Christ and him forgiving myself. And he says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that I might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Once you're right with God, what do you have? Peace. It gives you peace because you know you're right with God. It's all taken care of. It's paid for. You've been justified. You're forgiven. He's removed your sins. You're right with God. You have peace. You know, like it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. As soon as you're going to do something wrong, what happens? You begin to lose your peace. Uh-uh, uh-uh, don't do that. Or, or it bothers you. Why did you say that? Or why did you do that? What do you do? You go back to God and you say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I should, I'm, forgive me, please. What happens? Peace comes back. And the last one, we all talk about it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where do you get joy? I mean, there's some place you buy that or some box that's in. No, the joy of the Lord comes from me and you living and obeying God. When you do what's right, what does it give you? Joy. What did Jesus say? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, henceforth he's seated at the right hand of God and given a name that's above every name. You think he wanted to do that? Well, it says that he, shed, he sweat blood, but he loved us enough and, and he knew the purpose that he was doing. Like, will you, do me and you always want to do what's right? No, not me. But I tried to always do what's right because it's the only thing to do. It's a choice. Flesh, spirit, right, wrong. Every time God prompts you to do something, it brings joy and it, it increases your relationship with God. And I can tell you just a tidbit. Uh, when I got saved, back in, I would say, 73, um, I would say I lost everything. I really didn't have that much, but I thought I did. But, uh, you know, God is a jealous God. And he wants to be Lord. He wants to be first place. And um, when I got saved, 
Uh, my friends who were not good for me, I lost them. I lost most of my worldly possessions, my dreams, really everything that I valued because uh, I was really living for myself. Uh, my identity, because my priorities changed totally. Uh, where I was going, I was no longer going. And my security um, was gone. Uh, I was really in love with myself in a lot of ways. And um, my future, where I thought I was going, completely changed, and I was broken. It was a rough time. I can remember the day my best friend, since I knew from that big, stopped on a Saturday afternoon to go do things that we did that I could no longer do. And I said, Bill, I, I can't do it. And he said, what? I said, I, I can't do it. I said, I gave my life to the Lord and I can't do it. And I can remember him driving down the road and I stood in the driveway and bawled my eyes out. I lost my best friend. But you know what? I found my best friend. I found my best friend. I found a love affair with Jesus. I found his word and truth. And actually, I lost my life to find my life. I hope every one of you can say that. You know, I found new friends, real friends, and I found purpose and direction because I began to live for something that was bigger and better than me. I lived for eternity. I was living for him. And I found a freedom from my hurts, my fears, my wounds, myself, and I began to find real lasting fulfillment in serving God and serving others. You know, the motivation to live for God and to love people is the motivation that is beyond description. And I can tell you, it would take me too long to tell you what all I lost but the blessings of God abounded. And unbelievable. See, and I would say for every one of us, like the story, the investment determines the value. What would Jesus pay for you? His life. And the more you pay, Whatever it is, the more you value. Investment always determines value. And the price he paid for you determines your value. Don't ever forget that. See, the enemy comes to try to put you down and says you're nothing and he tries to belittle you and steal your identity and steal your confidence and steal your faith. But no, I am the son of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ and he loves me and he pays for me my, my salvation every day. You know, the price you pay determines the value that you and I have 
on Jesus? What are we willing to pay for our relationship? He paid his life to have a relationship with me, and he expects us to lay our life down for him. And I can tell you, I would do it again. I'm still doing it. I don't think anybody here would stand up and say that serving Jesus has very little cost. It's a piece of cake and there's no price to it. No, there's a price to live for God. But it's worth every bit of it. You know, we could say the merchant, he saw the value. It was worth the price. It was a great deal. It was the best deal. And that's what we should be at. Giving my life to God and losing my life was the best deal that I've ever made, and it's the best deal for every one of us. I don't care whatever God is asking us to give up, to give it up, to find a relationship with him that grows. It's worth it. He is not asking one thing of us that he wants. All he wants to be is Lord. He wants to be first place. And when you give it up, you know what? You're free. You're free, and that's his plan. His plan is to make us free. You know, it'll cost you everything, just like it costs him everything. But he will give you everything in return as long as he's first place. The blessings of God abound. The blessings of God in every one of our lives are innumerable. You know, and you could say, as I begin to wrap up here, you know, what is the return on his investment and what is the return on our investment? Relationship with the son of the living God. He's in love with you and hopefully we're in love with him. And that's worth it all. To have a relationship with the son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth is begging us and encouraging us and challenging us to go all in to have a relationship with God that everybody will see. And we'll be salt, we'll be light, we'll be ambassadors, we'll be able ministers, we'll display by our own lives who this Jesus is, because by this shall all men you that know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. You know, in 1 John it says, consider the incredible love the Father has that he would call us the sons of God. Wow. He is not ashamed to call you his son. You know, and when you get saved, what happens? He becomes my father. He adopts us into his family. We're given an inheritance that's beyond description, and all the promises of God become yes and amen for you. You know, like, when you live at home, you can walk to the refrigerator and open the refrigerator because you're family. It's all yours. You give your life to God, he's your father. He adopts you. He calls you his own. He'll never leave you. He gives you an inheritance. 
and he's preparing heaven for us. When we're adapted into his family of love, wow. Ephesians says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus because we're united with Christ. It says, he that is united with Christ is one spirit. That's beyond our comprehension. In 2 Peter, it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for life, for godliness, for living a godly life, godly life. and we've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to be his bone and by the means of his death on the cross. It's a kingdom that he's revealing. It's a kingdom of grace and truth. And the law of this kingdom is love. God is love. He loves you. He loves me. And he puts his love in our hearts for others. The last verse I'll share, we all know it. What is the first and great commandment? That you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on this, rest all the law, all the prophets. It's the consolidation of the entire message of the gospel and the kingdom. Just love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even feel like I have to give an invitation if you're not saved, because I'm telling you, to accept Jesus Christ is the smartest, best deal you would ever make. That is the message of the pearl of great price, that he was willing to pay it all, and he expects us to pay it all, to gain all. Love you guys. I love you.